0: Okay so Philippians chapter 3 from verse 12 Not that I have already attained or am already perfected but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me brethren I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead I press toward the upward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus therefore let us as many as are mature have this in mind and if anything if in anything you think otherwise god will reveal even this to you nevertheless to the degree that we have already attained or to the degree that we have already attained let us walk by the same rule let us be of the same mind brethren Join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have, for, have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you, often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he, he is able, even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved, and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Let's pray before we study this together. Lord God, as we consider your word together now, we pray that you might really work in our hearts and minds. You know, O God, that we face disappointments in our lives, sometimes disappointment due to things outside of us, sometimes disappointment due to our own shortcomings. May we find comfort in you. May we find strength in you. And may each one of us be moved by your word this morning and your in work, the in of your Holy Spirit to grow us in ways which will glorify you all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, as we dive in to this passage together this morning, I'm going to start off by reminding you of something that I needed to remind myself of a number of times this week as I was preparing this sermon. And that is that this passage we're looking at, chapter uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to chapter 4, verse 1, is part of a larger thematically connected section of Philippians, which is from chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 4, verse 1. In some ways, this is part 2 of where we were at last week. Last week, when we looked at part 1 of this larger section, we saw Paul's justifiably severely worded criticism of Judaizers, and we saw how that danger of those who place a focus on earthly things threatening to to come into the church and reduce or even take away the the gospel in some places is a clear and present danger for us today. Now this morning as we we get into this text, I have returned to having pointed sermons, Uh, just two points this morning, not that the others were pointless, which that joke's getting old, isn't it? Uh, but we start off with our first point, looking at the prize that is ahead. Now obviously we, we are focusing on chapter 3 verse 12 to four, one. but I just gave that mention of the context just so we keep in mind that Paul is still keeping the same sort of themes in mind to where we were last week. As we start at verse 12. Verse 12 is, is an interesting verse within this passage. It's one that has a lot of Here's an interesting phrase here, unspoken debate in the way commentators address this passage. Uh, Some people think that it relates more to the first 11 verses and is connected there. So some would say we should deal with uh, chapter 3 verses 1 to 12 and then do 13 onwards. And others deal with it as part of this uh, this second part. Now, of course, it is attached to to both. The reason there's a lot of confusion about where it best fits Is that it serves as something of a hinge between the stuff we've seen last week about standing firm in the face of opposition and now today's bigger focus of confidently moving forward in the Lord? I think if we understand, it really does serve as a hinge to move from stand firm and keep moving forwards. We deal with a lot of that uh, behind-the-scenes uh, confusion we might have about this verse. And it actually says something incredibly reassuring. Remember last week, Paul spoke about his heritage. He spoke about being a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised of the eighth day. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. He, in terms of having righteousness as far as the Jewish people were concerned... Paul was ticking every single box along the way. He said he had it all in those regards, but he didn't trust in earthly things, he trusted Christ. And this is a man who has been used so mightily by God. This is a man who has been a wonderful instrument in the hands of God for the furthering of the kingdom, churches planted and established because of his ministry. This man who is surely so advanced in his sanctification able to withstand any threat that might come of false teaching, he starts off by saying this, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. This man who has been used so mightily by God, has done so many wonderful things, even Paul has not yet attained perfection. That is an incredibly beautiful pastoral note to have here in this this letter. There's so many things for the church to do, but rather than feel down because they don't do all of it perfectly, Paul says, I'm not perfect either. If you're like me, that gives incredible hope of God being able to keep us against the onslaught of opposition we face at times. This is Paul, who, who perhaps, as we read the first 11 verses of this chapter, we might have thought had all the answers and, and complete spiritual maturity. There's nothing more for him to learn. There's no more ways for him to grow. And he says this. Paul, just like us, has a continual need for God. One commentator says that sinless perfection is not the experience of even an apostle this side of glory. As we start this, remember that we never outgrow our need for God. No matter how long you've been a Christian for, no matter how much growth you've gone through in your faith, you still need God. And as Paul talks about pressing on this becomes in a sense a call for the whole church to press on with him now he doesn't write down the words because i'm pressing on you should press on too he doesn't write that but these words of pressing on become a call that you almost feel the pull this is paul's example we are to be with him in keeping on going It's a bit like what Joshua says in chapter 24 of the book of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, Joshua's talking about what he he and his family and his household are going to do. But we see that's what we're meant to do as well. Same sort of thing here. Paul says, I press on. I haven't attained it yet, but I press on. For those of us who haven't attained spiritual perfection, which is all of us, we press on with Paul. We press on with Paul. Paul is inspiring within us by by God's grace a willingness to follow. As we look at what he goes on to say here in Philippians, Paul is incredibly aware of those things that are before him. He knows what's ahead of him. Now, if you've been with us as we've worked through Philippians, you might be wondering how sure he really was. He hopes... He's not certain of when it's going to happen, but he hopes to send Timothy. Doesn't sound particularly certain of the future there. He he would love to see the Philippians again, but he's in jail in Rome, potentially about to be killed. He doesn't know how that's going to work out. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Maybe he's not entirely certain of his earthly future. But what we do see is he is aware of his spiritual future as well as the resurrection body that we look to later on in this passage, he knows what is ahead of him. He knows that there is a wonderful prize for him and every other believer. He knows that this prize is a certain guarantee for those who follow God because it is something which Jesus Christ himself, God the Son in human flesh, has taken hold of Paul for. And that is is incredible motivation to keep going. You see, where this really ties in with what we read last week is that last week we were made incredibly aware of dangers, even within the church and outside of the church, of course. People who would teach things contrary to the truth of the gospel, people who would threaten at times to say, no, you cannot teach those words of life sounding like that's going to be taken away, but there is wonderful motivation for the Christian to continue in the faith here, because there is a prize ahead of us. There is a prize waiting for every single one of us. There is opposition. When the opposition comes, it's easy to become wearied. It's easy to become exhausted. It's easy to just be so sick of standing our ground that it just seems so much easier to say, you know, I agree with you, even if somebody's saying complete heretical things about God. Paul acknowledges that continuing is not easy. Paul acknowledges that facing every day in circumstances like the Philippians faced is not easy. Paul would be aware of our circumstances here in Queensland where voluntary assisted dying acts were passed by a scary majority in parliament this week. Where the Christian faith is increasingly persecuted, ridiculed, mocked. Paul knows that it's not easy, but he writes to us and he says, look ahead, look ahead, see what God has won for you and keep going. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on the glorious future which he has laid hold of you for. Remember the things that matter. Remember the things that matter. The message of the Judaizers Paul's immediate opponents here in Philippi, the message of the world that we live in is you need to have earthly things to succeed. We saw that last week. And it seems to be the Judaizers are willing to say, you need to have those earthly things to succeed because you've all got checkered histories. Seems to be why Paul says to forget what lies behind. They're willing to use people's pasts against them. doesn't sound like the, I know we're not meant to call it this, it's not fair, but the cancel culture of today. Digging up things people said 10, 15, 20 years ago and using that to discredit them today. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, he presses on. But more than just the earthly motivational aspect to that, consider the beautiful spiritual truths of that. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. One of the wonderful spiritual truths that we are being reminded of here is a truth that he writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are new creations in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul doesn't flippantly say to forget what's behind. But this is Paul acknowledging the wonderful work that God has done in salvation. The thing that Christ won is eternal life. It is freedom from sin. And when it comes to sin, despite saying that From earthly appearances, I ticked all the boxes. Paul knows that before God, he had more than just a checkered past. This is a man who had actively hunted and murdered the early church. He had a lot of blood on his hands. But what Paul also has is this beautiful realisation of who he is now. It's a realisation that every single Christian should have. If we ignore the fact that God has made us into new men. The only thing we're left to do is to continue to carry with us each and every day our old, pre-converted selves with us. And if we do that, what we are saying is maybe Christ didn't quite do enough. Maybe I have to pay something here. Maybe I can chip in to the bill here. Maybe I can contribute to the solution. But this is wrong. This is wrong because the price for our sin has been paid. It's done. It's been paid for. So Paul rightly tells the church in Philippi and us today to forget what lies behind. He brings to mind almost this 180 degree view for Christians. He says, all those things that are behind you in the rear view mirror, God has dealt with that. He has given you new life. Look at what's ahead of you. And as we look to what's ahead of us, we see that view. Rather than the scary one in the rear view mirror, the view ahead of us is astoundingly beautiful. Even with persecution an opposition to our faith that we will face every single day and seemingly increasingly, even here in Australia, the 180 degrees in front of us is astoundingly beautiful. So Paul reaches for it. He, He presses on for it. These are straining words. He's not reaching out to grab the TV remote from the seat next to him. He's not pressing oranges for a lovely fresh juice in the morning. He is reaching full extension, fully committing to the, the eternal inheritance that God has for him. He is pressing on in an entirely holistic manner. Loving the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, mind and strength to keep stepping on, to keep moving closer to what God has promised through these verses, we see a lot of activity. In fact, there's been a lot of activity called for from the church all through this letter. Stand firm, work, run, labour. These are all words that Paul has used. Combine that now with this reach and press on, and you get the idea that Paul does not think that the the Christian faith and the subsequent worked out evidences of the faith, is a stagnant thing. It is a growing, active, wonderful thing showing God's glory. Now, titled the sermon this morning, Are We There Yet? You might know the answer no. We're not there yet. But you know what? Every day sees us draw closer that inheritance that God has for us. We mature as God draws us closer. We haven't arrived yet and we shouldn't think that we will arrive this side of glory. Even Paul knows that. Uh, Paul David Tripp uh, speaks often of this idea in his work that, that we have not arrived. But as Paul says in verses 15 and 16, to those of us who are mature in Christ by the measure that we have attained, which amazingly by God's grace is more and more every day as we walk in holiness, by the measure we have attained, let's walk, again an active thing, but let's walk and live worthy of the gospel. Our future always looks bright when we are with Christ. And we can face tomorrow confidently because the one who has taken hold of us he will not let go. And now we move into our second point as we look at verses three seventeen to 4, 1. And we keep that in mind, this beautiful hope offsetting the dangers of last week. That yes, there will be false teaching, but false teaching can never remove us from God. And remember to keep in mind, Paul is just a man. But he's a man who is an apostle, an apostle sent to establish and strengthen the church in its formative years. Paul is writing this letter to us not just as somebody who is equal with us. Now, some of the Greek verbs he uses through this letter, he does write in an appealing way as, as speaking to us as if we are equals, but we must remember this is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks to us with authority. And this is inspired by God. We should do the things that Paul says. Verse 17, Paul says, look to his example. All those active things that Paul has spoken about in this letter. Stand firm, work, labor, reach out, press on. He's doing all of them. While he's not perfect in walking worthy of the gospel, as I was said a few weeks back when I referenced 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Verse 1, Paul says to the church there, Follow me as I follow Christ. He is not perfect, but he is walking in faithfulness to the example and teachings of Christ. Praise God for the example of Paul. Praise God for the example of Paul because verses 18 and 19 tell us that not everyone is like that. There are some people who are really good at talking the way a Christian would talk. There are people who can give every correct answer to any question we could ask them theologically. But in their hearts, and from their hearts reflected in their actions, we see they are not truly responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. These are dangerous people. How do we recognize these people? Paul gives us an answer to that in verse 19. The reason I say they're dangerous people, verse 18, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. It's a serious charge given for good reason. Verse 19, they are headed for destruction. But, you know, that's not necessarily how we recognize them, but, but how do we recognize them? Their belly is their God and their glory is their shame. Gluttony, drunkenness, substance abuse, all these Earthly habits and diets that are just so far from God but become the priority, these are some of the markers of those who are heading to destruction. Some of those have more obvious physiological markers of that, others perhaps more subtle. But there is to be discernment from the Christian, isn't there, to be on guard. Not to live suspiciously all the time, but to live in wisdom before God. And Paul also says their glory is their shame. We're not sure what that means. Someone who brags about speeding and getting away with it. Someone who finds pleasure in cheating on exams at school, maybe. Someone who brags about those things they do that hurt the people around them. Someone who is so proud of how they behave themselves, even though we know what they do is just so far from what God tells us, particularly in the Ten Commandments. Sometimes these people may be caught out, other times they won't be. But whether it's obvious or not from day-to-day interactions with them, If people glory in things that are shameful, and we try to talk to them about God, they will be far more alive talking about worldly things than they'll ever be talking about God. Sadly, Paul gives similar warnings elsewhere in Scripture. It's sad in that it exists, but thankfully Paul does warn us about these things. In Titus, Paul writes that some profess to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. In the next chapter, Paul says that Christians are meant to be an ornament to the doctrine of God, our Savior. Think back to Timothy and Epaphroditus. They genuinely cared, they genuinely loved their brothers and sisters in the Lord. They genuinely loved their brothers and sisters in the Lord because they knew God, because they loved God, because God had first loved them, because of what God had done in their lives, because of their growing knowledge in Him. It was evident in their behaviour and their behaviour clearly did become ornaments to the doctrines of God, our Saviour. And that should be us. To be ornaments to the doctrines of God our Savior means we should genuinely care about the people around us. It means we should genuinely rejoice in faithful teachings and the ability to come to worship. We should prioritize worship throughout the week. And not be ashamed to tell people when they say, have you got much planned for the weekend? To tell them, yes, I'm going to worship God. It means that we should take time to commit to upholding one another in prayer. It means that we should be having contact with one another during the week so that we can encourage one another in these things and then keep doing that. And those are just a few things, but if we aren't doing those things, then maybe we need to be searching our hearts sincerely. Because Paul says that those who follow this bad example, those who, who, who just live for themselves, we could simplify it to, their end is destruction. Paul's saying here their destination is hell. That their destination is that place that Luke describes in his gospel as being a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there is no reprieve and no end to that. We should examine ourselves to, to make sure that we are walking in the footsteps of Christ. If God has given faithful people to model after, model their behaviour after, then praise God for that. Praise God for that. But don't blindly follow someone. Use discernment and pray that God might grant us discerning hearts. For the Christian, the one who is an ornament, which ornaments are good-looking things that you display. But for the Christian... Is an ornament to the doctrine of work of God. Rejoice. Rejoice. Because while things on earth are tumultuous and hard, and all too often a genuine heavy struggle and a burden, look at verses 20. And 21. Our real citizenship is in heaven. This is one of those somewhat awkward to get our heads around, but also really cool things for a Christian. All through this passage, but especially when we get to verse 20, we have this tension between. Living for God right now, as well as living for that future that we have. And Paul uses himself in his example of living right now. In 3, 12 to 16, he gives instruction outside of himself on how we can live right now as well. We read elsewhere that we are to redeem the time between now and Christ's return. We don't slack off, we press on, we reach forward. I think we get that by now. But but there is so much more for us than just what we have right now. This might sound vague. It might sound just airy-fairy. But this is truth. Keep living for God because we have eternity with him. Eternity free from the corruption and sin that so often surrounds us. And we even see that corruption in our bodies. And Paul says, we're going to get new bodies just like Christ's resurrected body. And we know that the corruptible cannot attain the incorruptible, but we don't need to worry about that because our lowly bodies will be transformed. No more aches, no more pain, no more bad knees, loss of sight, loss of hearing. It will be awesome. There is... And are wonderful things for the Christian. Things ahead of us that motivate us to do what Paul says at the end here to stand firm. To stand firm. Now, Paul has said that those who don't truly live like Christians, their glory is in their shame. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It's beautifully warm and wonderful. Paul, in his, in his joy, calls uh, he calls them his joy and his crown. Those who love the Lord their God and trust in Him alone for salvation in Philippi, they are Paul's joy and his crown. As a pastor, as an elder, I'm sure Chris and Those others who have served as elders previously as well can attest to this and understand really what he's saying here. He has ministered to these people. People who by God's grace have responded well to his faithful teaching. That is a special thing. That is a blessed thing. I think back on kids I taught at youth groups, surprisingly over a decade ago now, even though I'm only 30. But those kids still, some of them still love the Lord. That is a joy. People I've been a shepherd of as an elder, continuing to today, even those who aren't elders or deacons or those sorts of things, Think about those people who who we share the gospel with. And by God's grace, they respond to the gospel. What a joy it is. Paul says they are his joy and his crown because God has worked in them. There is joy and glory. To be found in God glorifying Himself in people. I'm going to take a page out of Paul's letter here. To you, my congregation, my joy and my crown stand firm in the Lord, stand fast in the Lord. We do face trials, we do face struggles. We face frustrations and irritations in our daily life from all sorts of directions, but do not take your eyes from him. He has a great, wonderful, unimaginably awesome prize for each one of us. He has laid hold of us, he has called us, and he who calls us is faithful and will surely do it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this incredible motivation that we see through these verses in Philippians to continue to stand firm. We thank you for the work that you have done, not just in saving us from sin. That alone would be enough. But you continue to work inside of us each and every day. And you have a glorious, eternal, everlasting prize set aside for us. May we rejoice in you and your goodness. And may we never stray from those sure teachings that we find in your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.